0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this launch of our report, Resetting of India's New Policy 2022. I'd also just like to add that only yesterday we celebrated the 74th Republic Day. And now that the ceremonies are over, I think we'll all remember to resolve what we stated in the Constitution, which says that we, we will be resolved to do this, 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 and will not speak it, because this is high time. 75 years of independence and 74 years of establishing the republic. A lot of us have to do, and it's time to do, in whatever field, we can make a change. Thank you so much. On behalf of the Foundation for Non-violent Alternatives, I welcome our distinguished speakers and the audience who are gathered here today. The program is being chaired by Dr. P.P. Singh. He is a patron of our foundation. Does not need much introduction. He has been powerful governor of the state of Sikkim and earlier, too, held practically all the high offices in the government of India. Professor Pari is also a trustee and Dean of the School of International Studies in JNU and an acknowledged expert on China. Then we have Dr. C. Radha Mohan, the well known columnist and currently a senior fellow of the Asian Society. Then Mr. Claus RP, he, he can, he is a veteran on Tibet. You see, you're thinking that some, he, he said, well, he also remarked that there's no prefix before his name. No professor or doctor or something like it. But that's it, veterans don't need anything of that kind. So he's a veteran on Tibet. And author of several books, Probably many of you may be knowing, that he held him career per chair for a number of years, and brought out four big volumes on the indo tapital affairs, right from between to, from 1947 to 1962. Ambassador Punkasaran is the well-wisher of our trust and convener Natastracht, an organization he has established, and former Deputy National Security Advisor. And lastly, we have the distinct honor of having General M.M. Narawani, a former COS, with us this evening. And we are all very eager to hear what the General has to say on Tibet and the topics. We also have Dr. Sujit Kumar, MP, and Kalminan All-Party India Parliamentary Forum for people joining us online from Odisha, but I think this is not, has not been worked out we proposed, but the technology has exposed So, yes, sorry about it. We are trying to make a video on that and to use it later on. <clears throat> Let me just say a few words about the report we are releasing this evening. It is an updated and more comprehensive Report that our previous one of 2013, it took us a little over a year to complete this task. Sino Indian relations have taken a rather different course since 2017 and further deteriorated past 2020. And this prompted us to re look at India's various policy options of different. We embarked on this exercise <coughs> in 2020 itself, during which we had the good fortune of the guidance of our trustee, late Mr. Krishn Badma, during the initial <coughs> stages of this project. At the very onset, the two authors, myself and Mr. Ravon Banerjee, sitting here consulted many Tibetan leaders as well as leading Tibetan supporters around the world to get a sense of what they felt such a report ought to contain. Of course, the authors also consulted our trustees and members of our advisory board like Claude R.P. versus Srinthi Kwahid, she was here but could not make it, and Dr. Michael Goldwald USA. This report is meant for the long-term projection of issues between India, Tibet, and China, and for their possible resolution in a peaceful manner. The recommendations placed in the report are far-reaching, and in some cases quite challenging. Yet these have to be faced and solutions sought. This report is an in-house production from the start to the finish. We would like to thank the Sekundapalli for his forward and to all of our experts for writing a preview to this report. This report is also being translated in Hindi by Sri Rahul Singh, and is also to be translated in Tibetan in due course of time. All the previews in the report printed reflect that this report is extremely timely. An essential reading for anyone who wants to understand the Tibet conflict in the light of contemporary developments in Indochina relations and Chinese expansion. Thank you very much. Now I shall request the Chairman Dr. Singh to take over. And uh, first, so begin the release of the book before the speakers are requested to. A yeah,
1: massive <laughs> House,
0: along with the book, you also get food. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Mr. Chairman, tell you what now.
1: Dr. Sri Raja Mohan to speak. On the oh, he is. Professor Sri Gandhi, please speak first? Yeah, yeah,
2: please.
1: Okay. Oh.
2: okay. Uh,
1: thank you very much. Uh, Do you um, want you yeah. also to speak? Yes. Oh, I see. I am now. Taking back my clarity. I had the the privilege of reading the initial draft, draft before this draft. And I must tell you that uh, in the complex geopolitical scene in the world. One problem, which is not only of territorial nature but also of deep civilizational nature, is something which is contained in this book. I also feel that when we had the great two civilizations, China and India, a question was posed amongst the mind of the Chinese scholars. And that was what China should learn. One Chinese scholar decided to go to Japan and to come to India. And he said that, look, we have nothing to learn from Japan. When he came to India and decided to stay back in Nalanda University, become its student. And at the end of it was greatly influenced as to what The Chinese rulers did in prehistoric times, and what Ashoka did is contemporary. And he said, Look, we have to learn from India. And Ashoka did that. He conquered Kalinga but went for civilizational attributes to take shape. He did not send troops, but he sent ambassadors of peace to other countries. So one feature had been of uh, India, the great civilizational force, is to send messenger of peace not troops. So we have not conquered. The Chinese philosophy has been different that every person has a duty to tell the introvert that is what Confucius taught. If somebody is uh, not doing his job he should be moved to the king. And if he is doing his job properly, then also he should be. And so everybody had one discipline and somehow or the other this has taken the shape of Communist Party and the Chinese army, PLA. People's Liberation army. Now they have not yet thought about and the word liberation will narrowly defined now. You go into Kuba, you go and conquer. So this is an issue that is creating problems. And uh, this had been explained in this book. I hope uh, the Landa will tell you more about the book. I thought of just telling you the background. That uh, the his Holiness the Dalai Lama, in his statement of 2011, Twenty-twenty-one, twenty-one, yes, and in the statement of his renunciation of political power and that has influenced the Bhutani's king, the other, even Sikkim, wherever the governor, the successors said that we don't want to throw. And all that happened, and I think Holiness is saying the same. We have to see what is the way out. You can't take away somebody's land, you can't take away somebody's religious belief without dialogue, without dialogue, dialogue based on civilizational heritage. And this is something which has always attracted me. And when I saw this report and the latest statement of Yorila the Dalai Lama, I was more than convinced that this is very important. During the last, uh, from 19, 85, I have been in touch with his holiness, talking to him and this long dialogue that I had, some are in form of notes, some are published, but some in the form of notes I have promised to him that I will not release it, I will not write it unless it is necessary. Or unless I have his authority. And I have not sought his authority and I am not going to seek his authority. So this is something which is there. So this is a very vital document. And I am glad that uh, this is being shared with you. I am also glad that this will lead to formulation of new ideas. Because uh, what else the alternatives mean? And alternatives not in the Chinese term, non violent alternatives. We hope to be enriched by your interventions. We hope to be enriched by your providing new ideas, new alternatives than what has been provided here. In these few words, I
2: request the learning speaker to now say okay, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Singh. Uh, Namaskar. The report that has been prepared by the FNBA, uh, it's divided into six parts with uh, the last part being an actual appendix uh, on different aspects of uh, so it basically deals with uh, what has been the past, what is the current situation in Tibet, domestic and the international dimension, and thirdly, what should India do in terms of its recent policy. As you know that the uh, the People's Liberation Army moved into Tibet in 1950, 51, and uh, an agreement was signed with the Dalai Lama, which. Was abrogated uh, by several moves by the PLA itself when it was present in Tibet, and uh, that resulted in the 1959 flight of the Dalai Lama and subsequently the other developments in Tibet, which includes the harmonization of the Tibetan population, demographic changes, uh, a lot of the economic uh, projects that have been. Uh, Made under the five year plans uh, by the central government. So much so, something like 95% of the budget has been subsidized by the central government uh, in Tibet in various projects. And many of these projects later on were to uh, impinge on India's security in terms of the dual use um, infrastructure projects, roads, railways, and so on and so forth, which they suggest have. Now connected about nearly 88% of the counties, the Tassis and uh, the interior. Uh, this has also had an implication for the environment. It has an impact on the, the security situation, especially when party secretary Chen Chuanko began surveillance mechanisms every hundred meters in Lhasa <coughs> and in other areas. Uh, this model has been exported to Xinjiang where we saw the western countries have passed the sanctions uh, on Xinjiang related matters although Chen ko did not make it to the 20th party congress his legacy still continues in terms of those incarcerated in Xinjiang and in Tibet and so on so the past of Tibet has uh, uh, it has a, it has a several lessons for India and that is where the resetting also is crucial of the policies that India has followed. The second major component of this report is in terms of the present conditions, specifically since August 2020, Sinicization of Tibetan Buddhism, (coughs) reached by the Tibet forum meeting. Since then, the pace of change has been very intensive. Uh, Xi Jinping himself visited Tibet in 2021, July, and uh, out of nearly 25 Politburo members, 14 Politburo members made it to Tibet uh, and including, of course, the CNC members, Central Military Commission members. So this is the most intensive political preparation where they wish to convert even Tibetan Buddhism into Chinese ethos in many aspects. So those of you who saw those videos of Xi Jinping's visit to Ningchi, Lhasa, and other places uh, uh, indicate how that Chinese-ness has been uh, incorporated into the Tibetan practices, religious, Tibetan Buddhist religious practices. Uh, this coincided with the 624 well-of-society village construction and we saw the pattern, nearly one-third of these were built on the path of the Dalai Lama's uh, flight uh, in 1959. So it also has a certain preparation for the 15th Dalai Lama related events, the developments in Tibet the kind of developments that China has been making in Tibet. Uh, And this suggests that India needs to reset its policy, which was enunciated first in 1954-1988 and then by Washbai in 2003. Uh, The core tenets of India's policy, which the report suggests we need to reset, Include the one China policy which has not been reiterated since 2010 in any of the joint statements between India and China number one number two uh, The report also suggests to resetting the kind of restrictions that have been placed on the Tibetans Although India has been a democratic country yet. There are so many restrictions that have been placed including in terms of protests Including in terms of acquiring property, including in terms of social welfare, education, and cultural needs. Even though uh, India had protected the Tibetan identity, Tibetan culture, Tibetan religious practices uh, most spectacularly in, in uh, Bailogope and uh, other establishments, yet the report suggests that we need to reset the um, the policy that we have put up for Tibet, and these are in several domains, and this touches on each of the stakeholders uh, in the trans Himalayan region, as well as across Tibet and Indian frontiers. So this is what the report suggests. To a more classified uh, one, will be distributed possibly to the uh, the stakeholders um, for the suggestions that that come out of this report so our recommendation is please read this please please publicize this report and congratulate the authors of uh, mr Tandan and ribbon benajida yes. for putting across a comprehensive uh, both the domestic elements of tibet how the process is churning out uh, secondly in terms of what should be the india's policy thank you for your attention
1: I also thank the authors. Now I am going to tell the reader that this is available for all of you. Now I request, uh, after Dr. Pondapalli, may I request to Dr. C. Raja Mohan to address <coughs>
3: Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's really a pleasure a uh, privilege to be part of this panel. Uh, looking at the people on this panel, I mean, I think uh, I'll be, be doing a lot of violence uh, if I really hold forth uh, on the uh, issues involved, every one of them here. Srikanth is a China expert, and all the others. Uh, Claude has written about uh, Tibet and India China relations much longer than any one of us, and with much greater insight than, than many of us have. General uh, Narbani is here. He's dealt with the real situation that has been changing on the ground. Dr. Singh, you covered the Himalayas, you've been in the Northeast. And uh, my friend Pankaj was the Deputy National Security Advisor. So we really have a, 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 a set of people here who can bring you a larger challenges that I think we have at this point. And what the report means for us in terms of how we can advance our interest. (coughs) Uh, What I thought I'd do is really just to make a a broad set of uh, points, eight of them. Uh, I'll start with one, congratulating uh, the foundation uh, as well as uh, the two authors for really giving us a a, a comprehensive, substantive report. Uh, Many of us are familiar with the broad uh, outlines of the issue that, that we I haven't between Tibet, China, and India, but I haven't seen something that it all lays out uh, so clearly, uh, so in such a detailed manner uh, than than this report. I mean, uh, it's really, I mean, I would say when I was reading this report in the last few days, I mean there is every sentence, uh, there is a there is a, you know, there is so much to each sentence uh, and the kind of recommendations that they are put, I mean, each one of them <coughs> is worth pondering over because uh, there's really, uh, even those of us who know Tibetans have been here for 60 years. The layers of complexity that if you just open it up, this book, uh, how the Tibetans live here to their conditions, to, because it's easy to talk about grand strategy, but, but there's entire question of uh, the humanitarian condition of them and how the Indian state I mean, uh, for all its generosity, I think there is a lot of room for improvement for us uh, to be able to think about this in a much more dignified way. I mean, no one is expecting India uh, to start marching with Tibetan flags, the government of India, the Indian state. But I think the time has come for us to really to look at the details of so many aspects of this, uh, the, the question of Tibet and, and China. For us, and I think this report is really I open up in many ways. I mean, those of us even who think we know about the issues, but I think it's really uh, a very an eye opener. And, and I think that a report has a huge amount of data documents. So for all of us, younger people, I would strongly suggest do make the best use of this uh, report and uh, disseminate it to the extent uh, that you that you can. Secondly, for me, the biggest takeaway uh, was really the. Uh, The conceptualization of the Himalayan challenge activities. Because many of us have been have tracked, reported, uh, followed a whole lot of issues in the last, say, 20 years. Let's start I 2000. The three great corridors that China is building. CPEC, the CNEC, China-Nepal Corridor, china myanmar Corridor. I mean, I've written about uh, South China, South Sinclair Railway uh, that was being brought in the Tibet Railway, uh, we've seen the connectivity issues,
0: question of river water manipulation, the question of, uh, the question of uh, you
3: know, the villages being built, uh, the question of uh, how China is transforming this entire region. I when mean, we, we all covered it in a piecemeal basis. I think what this report tells us is to think about this in an integrated manner, not just in terms of the military, Security, but but actually thinking of that we have a great power. China's entry into Tibet itself was a was a, was a dramatic moment. None of us had imagined at the time. China would be the second largest economy. When you have a powerful state sitting on the Himalayan master, it doesn't have to do too much to alter the structure, which is what China is doing. So, so how we think about the Himalayas, the multiple dimensions of and I think the Chinese power is fundamentally transforming the Himalayas. It is those who, from the environment alone, I mean the Chinese Communist Party has been called the Communist Party of Engineers. I mean, if they start to digging through uh, the Himalayas and the kind of things that they've already done. So my, my, my sense is, for us, I think, is to think about these challenges that are in an integrated way. And I think that this report really helped us think about the multiple dimensions of what Chinese power means in Tibet. And I think that's uh, very, very uh, central. at uh, that brings me to the third point. I mean, uh, uh, I think uh, India has changed a lot in the 75 years uh, since independence, but one thing it seems very hard is to shed the illusions about China. Uh, the deep, I mean, it really goes back to 100 years, if you will. Uh, when the Indian delegation and the Chinese delegation met in uh, Brussels, and the imperialist Congress in 1927, uh, the imagination that we will work together to change the world. Uh, the audacity, the ambition of that invasion, uh, of, the, of this imagination, uh, was always undermined by the hard reality on the ground that we fundamentally differed on the nature of our borders, on the nature of Tibet, and the nature of our relative relationships to Tibet. But yet, uh, we struggle even today to pose the problem honestly and to deal with it on that basis. Because even today, i hear uh, people say, look, look at the US, uh, Kissinger, they strength in China. But for them, uh, the Chinese would not be where they were today. But Americans might have done it once, but we are the only ones in the world who have done it twice. We did it in the 50s. Of, you know, of serenading China to the rest of Asia, saying these are good guys. No, everybody should engage We told the one we have diplomatic relations. We told everyone, look, these are you know, nice people, they're Asians, they're all Asian brothers. No, that set of illusions, I mean, I think it's very, we are the only ones who again, took to it in the 1990s, by saying, we will pursue a multipolar world with the Chinese. Notwithstanding, what China did with Pakistan, the nuclear issue, missile issue, what it was doing on the boundary, we were once again willing to suspend our discipline. I bet that partnership with China will be central to the way we're going to deal with the 21st century. So we have, you're fooled once, it's great, but if you're fooled twice, I and mean, we are no one to blame it, but ourselves, I and mean, I think even today, the the I can tell you, uh, Moment there is even the slightest hint of China. Something will talk to you, I mean, the Indian press will go crazy. Headlines, you know, Chinese are ready to talk. Let's build a great alliance with the Chinese. And so I think checking the solution uh, uh, is, I think, a series of four military crises 2013, 2014, 2017, 2020. Uh, we wonder, I mean, it's hopefully broken as up, but uh, uh, I'm not uh, so sure that uh, it is the, the, the military is dealing with it. But I think we have a real, a real problem uh, of, uh, of dealing with this, uh, dealing with this issue. i uh, just give you a counter example. I mean, I don't know how many of you have seen what Japan has done in the last few weeks. Uh, they plan to double its defence expenditure. They plan to build a thousand missile arsenal. Because last 10 years, they've had serious problems in the maritime territorial dispute Japan with the Chinese. Now, they say, look, here is a problem, and here is our response. But I think India, I mean, with apologies to, to everyone else, I mean, being part of the government, uh, that where is our strategy in terms of, you know, framing the question, how do we deter China? If we have to deter China on multiple fronts, it's not just across one front, then if, if X is your strategy, how are you going to carry it forward? And so I'm not just blaming the government, uh, I think we have not done our job, and the rest of us were are outside sitting in think tanks and other places. We can make the case. Uh, we're not doing enough. I think uh, in terms of framing the problem, the problem we have, is a multi-generational problem. It's a problem of how to deter China and prevent it from undermining our national interest it demands a level of intellectual effort. we can't just be, it's too important to be left to the government if cannot say so. Uh, that, that we need to do a lot more to those of us who are, who are uh, outside. Uh, that brings me to, you know, at least two sets of issues, I mean, which is the, the uh, one, the context has fundamentally changed, I mean, because uh, how China deals with Tibet and how we deal with Tibet had, uh, had a lot to do with the nature of China's international relations. Uh, last 40 years, I mean, if you go back to 89, after Tehran, when many countries in the West were willing to support Dalai Lama, in a manner am seen with him the least. Wanting to be seen with him, to one way in the last four decades, a rich uh, China. Nobody wants to be even provoked the Chinese or even uh, receive the Dalai Lama. We had to Obama spotting him out of the back door, the kitchen door of the White House. Uh, so I think the so what so what has changed? I mean, I think uh, what has changed is the on the one hand you have the rise of Chinese power, which makes it very costly. But anyone even to intervene in the issue, including on the other hand, what's happening in the last few years is the fact that China has got itself into quarrels with everyone, with Japan, with India, with the US, with Europe. So now you have actually people willing to question
0: China's motivations because either China's peaceful rise or that China will be like a giant Switzerland,
3: they'll only be interested in uh, counting their money and that uh, be wonderful place, the world's factory, we can all live happily ever after, to one where China wants to be a great power. I mean, we might not like it, but the fact is it is their national ambition. And for us it's important thing to see the consequences of that reality that it has the power to redeem its historic claims, right or wrong, illegitimate or legitimate. And it is that power that that exists today but by overreaching, he greater confidence. And I think for the first time, on the positive side, China's quarrels with the rest of the world opens the door for a, for a fresh engagement, for a fresh thinking on the subject. So in that sense, the report is timely. But at the same time, the difficulties of dealing with the Chinese power remain, because they're so strong. And I think those, uh, <coughs> you know, that the problem has not disappeared. China has not become weak, uh, and it remains a very strong state. And internally, what it can do today uh, is quite, quite dramatic. The the kind of surveillance system which uh, Shrikan talked about, or the synthesization of Buddhism, uh, the school textbooks, I mean, it's kind of the sweeping application of purposeful state power uh, to systematically transform all minorities, their culture, their language, their religion. Uh, This is, I, now, it's one thing it is in India we think uh, you can take on anyone but not God but The Chinese said they're going to take on God. So you see people decide Who is the bishop of the Catholics? Uh, who is the next Dalai Lama? Who is so? Uh, the communists I mean you think you can't interfere between man and God, but the Chinese communist party thinks you can interfere between man and God So that is the scale of the Chinese power that they control across the board the religious activity and, and I think we, again, we've noted all this, but what it means for us, I think uh, we've not really thought about it. And I think that the dilemma, those Denumas are beginning to come to us. And that brings me to the, the whole set of recommendations, I mean, there are almost 26. I mean, I would urge all of you to read every one of them, because it's really detailed, every one of them. Uh, Starting from national security, border security, policy on Buddhism, uh, the, the future of the 15th Dalai Lama. Uh, who's going to find him and how they're going to find him? Uh, the question of the you know Mr. Modi talks about uh, ease of living, the question of uh, conditions of living for the Tibetan uh, people here, uh, the question of how do we engage Tibet across the border. So I think the scale of the issues to come, I and I think it, it's really in great detail. And I think even if we don't agree with all the recommendations, but I think there's a lot that is actionable, and I think that's what. I, I think we should be able to take this forward and tell our government or people and what we can do in the civil society that, that we need to be able to address a large number of those demands. And and I would strongly suggest I think that uh, I, I thought there'll be a much bigger audience today uh, crowding into the small room. But I think so that shows us the kind of task we have to do are uh, to take the problems at hand, the gravity of those problems. Uh, problems to, to a much, much larger audience. So, I'll conclude here by once again uh, congratulating the two authors uh, for producing such a really a thought-provoking, a stimulating uh, report. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> and before I
0: invite uh, the scholar, Claude Argy, I
1: thought uh, one thing you left unsaid. Next time, who will decide the Chinese or somebody else who will decide over the state. They do decide. At this rate, they may decide. So, <coughs> there is no such threat. I must tell you, they will not decide. And now I invite the scholar Claude R.P. <laughs> <laughs>
4: but I don't, I cannot read So first, I want my young friend, Mr. Tandon, my old friend, Reban Banerjee, I want to thank you, you've done a good job. You have reset the... So, very, very, congratulations
0: and...
4: Uh, I don't know, resetting... Actually, the government of India, I'm not sure that they have uh, ever won uh, Tibet policy. So for you it's resetting because it's uh, uh, your secondary report. but the government, unfortunately, what is a government?
5: They, I think,
4: uh, MHA has one policy, MEA has one policy, MOD may have another policy. So there are many policy, and I think the need of the hour maybe is to have one day only one policy. That said, that 70 years it's a long time. Since 70 years. Uh, Chinese uh, have uh, entered the uh, and Eastern Tibet and uh, in September uh, 51 Lhasa and they have come immediately to the border. Now, I have never seen uh, Tibet, police, uh, uh, Tibet policy from the government of India but, but when uh, Saddam Patel wrote his letter of 7 pages pages in uh, November, on 7 November, 1950, that was part of a uh, Tibet policy, at least as far as security is concerned. Because when we speak about Tibetan, the, uh, there's two aspects, one is the Renaissance dilemma, the Tibetan refugees, uh, 1.35 lakhs came, now they are much less. And that is a problem which should be, be uh, looked into very seriously. But, but the other issue is the border. There was no problem with the border. And what Sadar Patel saw so, and what he described in that, it was the policy for the border. And uh, many, many of the Indian leaders, uh, President Rajendra Prasad, Rajagopalachari, K. Munchi, uh, they all wrote also to Prime Minister and say that's <coughs> the, the, the right thing to do because we are losing a border a peaceful border there was no EBP like, or there is no police in, in all, all this border so I think we should not forget this and we should uh, read again this uh, letter from uh, And uh, now uh, people are asking when Tibet lost independence. According to me, it's 1950, in August 1952. In 1952, suddenly the uh, government of India, not the government, just a few people in the government, decided to downgrade the um, Indian mission in Lhasa. There was a full fledged mission. And uh, Mr. Shumul Sinha, one IFS officer, was manning this uh, mission, and suddenly, it was decided mainly by Sadar Panikkar, the ambassador in Peking, to down credit to the uh, Consulate General. When you lose that possibility of uh, negotiating directly, this is one of the most important signs of an independent nation that you conduct in your own foreign affairs. Foreign affairs are con- conducted with a mich- between the mission in Lhasa, the foreign bureau uh, on the Tibetans, and the political officer in Sikkim. And this was done without informing the parliament without informing anybody and I, I don't think any mps realized that suddenly the the full-fledged mission had become a consular general so it was an admission; it was a full surrender and of course two years later there was the 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 partnership it was formalized in the form of an agreement of a treaty between Republic of India and the, the uh, Tibet's region of Tibet. So for the first time in an agreement, it was shown that Tibet, Tibet was only a region of China. So this continued, and we know the dramatic turn it took in 1959 in March. his holiness this uh, to take refuge, If they take that Ken Zimane, Zimintang Bondela Road, and he took refuge. He went immediately to Missouri. Again, there was a sort of a Tibet policy, and that Tibet policy has lasted till today. There was a five-hour talk in Missouri between His Holiness and uh, Prime Minister, and Nehru was absolutely clear, I will rehabilitate your people, I will educate your people, and India has really done that, and has really had the dilemma. Like he said, I will not do anything politically. I will not even. He did not want His Holiness to apply to appeal to the UN. His Holiness still went in 1959 uh, in the UN, but uh, the Prime Minister <coughs> was against that. So that was a policy rehabilitation of the Tibetans, education, but no politics. So that's what need to be reset, according to me, because as. Um, Chief Minister of Arunachal says, I have no border with with China, I have only a border with Tibet. And uh, that has so many implications, the fact that we have forgotten that the border has always been with Tibet. And uh, that's need some little bit recycling, it's not easy, it may take time, but uh, I'm happy that at least the." Uh, Indo-Tibet border force, the ATVP, is still called Indo-Tibet, and no Sino-China-Tibet border force, or some new names. But this has to be seen, and I enjoy what we're saying about the two-China to policy. And I think the main issue today for me, because I'm more involved in this thing, is the boundary. And the boundary has to be taken into consideration. Monary, if you go into the details, whether in Demchow, Korea, Koryul, all these corridors along the Indus, or in Sikkim, or in Arunachal, you go on the land records, you know, the grazing rights, the, the agreement between one village and another. There's not a Chinese, there's not a Chinese uh, in it. So China was nowhere to be seen. And today China is everywhere and they want to dictate, we do a new Xiaokao village, this uh, new this 620 uh, villages that uh, Shrikant mentioned, we do it uh, sometimes in India's territory, in Longzhou and other places, they do in Bhutan also, in uh, Pangda, three villages, but historically... <laughs> There's no, no, no Chinese in the land record on the house taxis or anything like that. So we should n- not forget this. And... Um, I think uh, there was some decision taken in 2018 to uh, sort of boycott his holiness in the Salah. So a notification was issued by the FS Secretary, and saying that no Indian official should meet. That is very counterproductive, because it means that you know, official whoever has asked FS to send that uh, that notification, he does not understand China at all, because China does not believe in this thing, does not respect uh, any uh, of this uh, thing. They respect when you stand by them, and they are uh, there in the uh, east. east the army chief, in the, during the when he started the confrontation in Ladakh, you know that they just respect that you stand in front of them. You don't have to be violent. You should remain unviolent. Even in, uh, recently on the 9th December in Yangtze, uh, east of Bogla, there was a confrontation. I mean, some people have been hurt a uh, little bit, but there's no shooting or anything like that. And that is quite remarkable that there was no shooting. But if you don't stand, they will go. You can uh, absolutely sh- sure. And I was also posted that you, if, they, if you withdraw from 500 meters, they will advance 500 meters. That is uh, very regrettable. It's not the entire Chinese nation because India, for example, has very good uh, relation with Taiwan. But the present regime in Beijing is like that, at least the People's Liberation Army the big shots of the People's Liberation Army. So it's regrettable. We should remain non-violent as much, but we should stop them. And say no. And now I think China for the first time had some some body opposite the Indian Army who says no. You will not go further, because all this story about LAC and LAC, it doesn't exist. <coughs> India did many blunders. signed uh, agreement, uh, 2005-2010 agreement on the border, mostly uh, quoting the LSE without putting any marks on the agreements. So I'm not criticizing the MBA but you can't... uh, If you pass a law and that law relates to an issue, you have to define the issue. In that case, 93-96, This agreement relates to the the issue is, according to me, it's that the political pressure on the MEA that to show that we have signed an agreement. I was told by someone who was in the EPO at that time. PM said, no, no, let's sign, and after that we will, we will make a map. Maps uh, were never given, never, uh, never exchanged for the central sector, shown for 20 minutes for the northern sector, and nothing for the eastern sector. So, you have to be very careful when you're dealing with China, you have to be very strict, you have to,
0: they
4: will use, it's what today is very famously called gray zone, They they trigger the gray gray zone, and after that they they use the the gray zone. So there's no other way to stand by. Now, um, regarding the policy, I just want to conclude by saying that I think the government of India should meet more regularly, his holiness, as well as the city, as well as the minister, and there should be regular meetings it does not need to be uh, given a large publicity you don't have to put it on all the uh, social media and all but it should be regular and exchange because i think also there will be a better understanding i would suggest maybe uh, they will never ask me to come again uh, to, <laughs> so, but I, I want to suggest that also from daramsala side they think of uh, uh, tibet's india's policy because it's not clear for me, his holiness has said very clearly for Taiwan, Sikyong, various Sikyong also, but they never said anything for uh, central sector, Barao or ne- never said anything for them, on all these areas. I think uh, the, they should think what, what, what. Do they want What do, does Dharamsala want as yes, its policy vis-à-vis the government of India? I fully agree with what Khan say we should help you know, to, for the, in the academic world to get easier access to everything, to get easier visa, visa or long-term, uh, give them OCI or anything like that. But from their side also, they should. And, uh, and I regret that there is not enough Tibetan. No, it's, uh, it's about India and Tibet. There should be 50% of, of Tibetan here. And the last thing before concluding, I would like that the government of India says officially the 15th Dalai Lama will be an honored guest in India like the 14th has been. And sh- let's say it officially so that China knows also that uh, India will support the 15th Dalai Lama, whatever choice. India is a secular country, India will not interfere like China, China is a communist country and they want to interfere in the business of uh, uh, reincarnation, they they know nothing about reincarnation, but India should say we we are a secular state, we don't interfere, you take your decision, but we will stand by you and if you decide to come back in India, you will be an honoured guest. We will look after you like we have looked after the uh, the 14th Dalai Lama. I mean, we will look after the 15th like we have looked after. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you we have to put things in a perspective, and uh, we will
1: start... Uh, so I don't get really everything for Janet to decide. We will still not, and I hope, and I trust we will not. Now, we have an ambassador concussion, because I think that, that online connection is not working.
6: Thank you, uh, Mr. Singh. And, uh Good evening to everyone. Uh, This is a very distinguished panel, so after three experts and scholars uh, who have covered almost everything, uh, there is actually uh, little to say in terms of uh, uh, the analysis part. But uh, I would only like to uh, draw attention. Firstly, I want to talk about the report. Uh, I think it is uh, an outstanding work of uh, uh, labor. The annexures, particularly, I was extremely impressed by the way they have been selected. And uh, they haven't missed a single important document, uh, which is really remarkable. And, uh, I mean, uh, you know, while we can fault the government for many things, uh, it is also true that the discourse, the public discourse on Tibet uh, within India uh, has actually kind of petered off and uh, it, uh somehow seems to have fallen off the radar among our own intellectuals and uh, civil society and so uh, the ballast which uh, one would have expected or desired uh, has somehow um, reduced significantly uh, it, it is uh, quite remarkable that when you look at the map and look at the it is so obvious that uh, Tibet would dominate Indian strategic thinking uh, for all the reasons that have been spelt out, starting from the military uh, to culture and to uh, climate change and to uh, natural resources. There is no aspect of uh, human activity which does not get affected uh, within India by actions taken in Tibet. So I, I really think that and I hope, actually, that this report will encourage uh, a much more uh, disaggregated discussion on these individual elements of Tibet. For example, even on uh, the boundary question which has been mentioned, I think, it, because of many, many reasons, uh, uh, the information in the public domain is not as much as it should be on. The whole question of the Dalai Lama, the question of Tibetan Buddhism, the question of uh, border infrastructure, the um, the whole issue about uh, diversion of river waters and associated with climate change impact. You know, so each of these can actually uh, be the subject of individual books. One, one thing, which of course is clear, two things rather, I think, is Uh, When you look at Government of India behaviour, I think every single Prime Minister has tried uh, his or her best (coughs) to reach out to China uh, to find a modus vivendi to live and deal with China. And uh, so all the agreements that we have on the table, starting from the early 50s till a couple of years ago, point to this direction. The question to ask is whether all the Prime Ministers and previous governments were wrong or had they all failed? And are we repeating the same mistake again and again? The second clear conclusion one can draw in so far as Chinese behaviour is concerned is that they have made their intentions known very very clearly. I think for me the most important and significant uh, development and uh, manifestation of this was the visit as can mention, of President Xi Jinping in July 2021 to Tibet and he was apparently within 20 kilometers of uh, the Arunachal border. So this is uh, known that the Chinese intent and Chinese capabilities, to ratchet up and to reinforce their presence, um, both hard and soft, in Tibet is known. I think the real dilemma is uh, boils down to what we can do insofar as uh, the Tibet question is concerned. And number two, uh, what is the uh, kind of importance of the Tibet question within the overall India China relationship? And the third leg of this whole uh, dilemma is how the rest of the world, which uh, Raj mentioned, is approaching the Tibet question. So uh, these are the basic, uh, you know, kind of clusters of pillars we need to really uh, focus on. So, starting from the last one, I agree with him that it's not only in India, but it's even in the uh, wider global uh, landscape that. Uh, Tibet has definitely uh, become less of a strategic issue um, in the rest of the world, and by the rest of the world, basically, it's the Western world. Um, I was I was in Russia, and I know that there are lots of republics in Russia which have huge Buddhist populations, and a lot of those uh, republics, their um, their uh, monks and others actually come to India. to to educate themselves and to learn uh, the scriptures. But the only person uh, I think who tried to reselect this issue uh, was President Trump and it was during his term that he had these two uh, big legislative uh, initiatives. Uh, In 2018, the Reciprocal Act for Tibet and in 2020, the uh, Tibet Policy and Support Act which directly focused on the question of reincarnation. But minus that, I think it is true that we are working in a different international environment and we have to be cognizant of that. On the the question of uh, our own actions and what options we have, there are some realities. I mean, one of them has been referred to, which has been the drop in the population of the Tibetan refugees in India. And basically, the, the shutting off of the TAP Uh, along the China-Nepal border. So the the flood has become a trickle and now there is virtually no passage into India. So this is this dwindling population within India. Uh, His holiness uh, himself is now 87 or so. Uh, The question of reincarnation is uh, looming very large and this I think is going to be the next big uh, issue in the manner in which uh, the government is going to handle the Tibet question and it doesn't matter which party or which government is in power but uh, there are so many aspects one has to uh, think of and consider before we uh, take a certain position and Claude uh, of course is right, when he says that different things of the government have different policies but I would only submit that this is as true for India as it is of the United States or anyone else I mean it is the it is a product of the way government is structured. Uh, there is a state department, there is a defense department, there is a White House, there is a National Security Council, there is a Commerce Department, there is a Treasury Department and uh, we in fact are being uh, at many times the on the other end of the stick when we are dealing with these different departments when it comes to say our own relations with the United States. So I think in India also it is true that different uh, in ministries and that's their job. The question is of course how to Converge this. From a national point of view, Jirendra Ravne but of course uh, know much more. I think what we have definitely done is to steal our uh, national capacity along the border and focus uh, more on infrastructure and, uh, uh, and development and kind of trying to repopulate uh, the villages along uh, the border. And that is, somewhat, uh, is not a good thing which has happened that uh, there has been some depopulation and migration away from the uh, reaches, outreaches of the mountains uh, on the Indian side. But nevertheless, uh, I think uh, the events of the last few years have, without any question, um, um, led to very significant uh, reallocation of resources on the Indian side. And this also has been done with uh, the previous government. So I think when you look at government, uh, try to analyze government of India behavior, you will see different strands uh, of uh, approaching this, um, uh, the, how to deal with the Indo-Tibet uh, border. And uh, 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 we, so the, the other, the other thing, of course, when we look at the Tibet is. How? What is its salience when it comes to the bigger India-China relationship? And here, again, for various reasons, I think the power differential between India and China has grown in the last thirty years. It is not going to close in the near future, and we have to be conscious of uh, how we how we deal with this differential. And with what degree of realism uh, do we approach uh, this question? Uh, the the important uh, I think thing here to note is that we want to find a, a way to live with with uh, with China. Um, the uh, the, uh, the the boundary question again is highly complicated uh, starting from the early 50s to 1959 of course the McMahon line if you I mean if you ask the question are we moving towards a solution of the boundary question I don't think we are and we have to live with a certain, uh, reality, I do not know uh, what conditions will be ripe for uh, India and China to be able to um, settle their differences in uh, the near future. <coughs> Meanwhile, I think it is absolutely important for us as a society, as a democracy, uh, as as uh, as a people who uphold. Uh, the basic tenets of human rights to continue to lend our support to uh, the the preservation of Tibetan culture, because uh, well, even the Chinese know it. And I think one of the things that they have been trying to do is to actually rewrite history and uh, and crowd out some historical facts. And that is something we can certainly ensure. Uh, that does not happen and that we do not allow them to rewrite the history of Tibet. Uh, that requires much more literature within India uh, at all levels, including in uh, cities and concentrations of Tibetan refugees in India, not just in Delhi but in Bangalore and in other cities. But this attempt to somehow paper uh, over the history of Tibet should not be allowed to succeed and that I think is maybe a small step but a critical step we can take because uh, and that requires a lot of Indian scholarship on Tibet and this is where I think uh, the foundation and this particular report play a huge role. So these are just some thoughts I thought I would, uh, I would share with you and, um, and, and maybe I'll just finish it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much. Now I have to tell you that uh, we affect all the key issues proposed and answered to us by General N is a distinguished general of the Indian Army. And uh, he has uh, given us a lot of hope on many difficult occasions on the floor.
5: Thank you, Dr. B. P. Singh and uh, Mr. Pandan, for having invited me here. And uh, of course, I'm in the presence of the distinguished uh, in their respective fields as well as in the audience. And uh, being the last speaker of the day is always a very difficult proposition because most of the points have got covered. But, uh, Yet I'll try to break new ground, but if I cover some old facts or points, uh, do forgive me. Uh, We are today, uh, we we have just released the report on the resetting of India's Tibet policy in 2022. And what are the in this uh, foundation for non-violent alternatives. I think uh, in this forum it would be only right to touch about non-violence or non-violent alternatives. I think non-violence is the need of the day and the hour. And even our Prime Minister had mentioned that this is not an era of war. So therefore, there is a definite thought that how can we solve our disputes, differences, without resorting to violence. And if I make quote from uh, Martin Luther King, and he had said that, how we fight violence and oppression is the question, and how we fight it without resorting to violence and oppression are. That is the bigger question. How can we make somebody else, how can we change their perception and make him accept our viewpoint, narrow down the differences so that we can resolve these differences through dialogue and discussion. And if we have to do that, then we have to do it through irrefutable logic and cold facts. That is the only way. And I think it is in that context that this report which has been prepared and we have just released is very important. Because it deals with these cold facts. And as has been brought out by my speakers, that we never had a border with China. Tibet was a nation by itself. It was Tibet which had a border with China and Tibet which had a border with India. And it was only when it was annexed, in the 50s, that we started having a border with China and the broader problem arose as a result of that. Till then there was no problem. Everything was quite normal. So this is, a, you know, the start point itself is very important. And I think this report very clearly brings out this this fact. Also, as has been mentioned, that since the 50s, China has been very systematically destroying the Tibetan way of life, their civilization and their culture, their religion, their script, their language. All of it has been systematically destroyed. Even the demography has been changed. The Hanization of Tibet, as we like to call it, and I heard that word the first time from Dr. Kundapalli only when I was a colonel, and since then it is uh, ongoing. That has gained further momentum now with the border villages which are being made. Border villages being made ostensibly for Tibetan populations, where there is no Tibetan population at all. Who is it meant for? Who is meant to populate these houses? And you must have a look at the photos. They're like villas. I wouldn't mind going and staying there myself. They're so well built, that infrastructure. What is it being made for? To top it all, the new land border law that they have promulgated. All these are bringing about changes that we have just not thought of. And as I mentioned, we have made... many mistakes in the past. I think the greatest mistake we made was in 1988, when we agreed that Tibet is an autonomous region of China. And we made this irrevocable statement as part of a joint communique, without taking anything in return. There was no quid pro quo. Even if we had to say that, it should have been with the settlement of the boundary boundary question, with the border settlement, border agreement. We gave away all our bargaining points and our leverages, but didn't really get anything in return. And now that problem continues to fester even 20 years later. As far as China's tactics are concerned, they're quite well known to everyone. They keep nibbling away wherever they can. Poke and prod, And it is a no-cost strategy. So they don't lose anything. And when I say don't lose anything, I mean not only in terms of men and material, loss in that term, but also loss of face. So you've done something in one corner somewhere, if it doesn't succeed, nobody comes to know. So there's no loss of face either. So they've been nibbling away, not only on the borders, but even in the South China Sea. If they get their way, well and good. It's another two islands added, another how many square kilometers added, and no, no is the wiser. But that has changed. That has changed with Doppler. They we were not successful. And it was great loss of face for them. That has changed in eastern Ladakh, where there was a loss, not only of face but also in terms of men and material. I have said that in many fora before, that the numbers are not important. Whether they lost 4 or 40 is not important. What is important is that the first time ever they lost something, they lost, they had casualties. And that is why, I think uh, Raja mentioned, that they have realized that it is this far and no further. Somebody has stood up to them. And that is the major change that has come this no cost tactics is not going to work anymore. Any option that they choose, specifically a military option, will have high costs and with no guaranteed success either. So they'll have to think twice before resorting to anything like that. And I think it is under such circumstances where we are face to face. That we can now press home this point that we have to look at non-violent alternatives to settle this border question. I think the stage has been set where negotiations can resume and negotiated settlement arrived at. But the deployment which is there helps no one. It doesn't help the Chinese, it doesn't help us either. If at all, the costs for China are even more and I say this with great confidence that the costs for them are more. If they have built billeting capacities for 60,000 people, where has that money come from? They have, we have also imposed costs on them. Everywhere we only read that we have got you know, costs on us, but what about their cost? We have also imposed costs on them. And if they have to maintain those people, their base is their eastern seaboard. All their supplies have to come from 4,000 kilometers away. The lines of communication are so long. My lines of communication are only 500 kilometers, 400 kilometers, even lesser than that. Who's better off? He or us? I will say we are better off. And therefore, this is the time to explore these possibilities of discussion and dialogue and negotiate when we are in a position of strength. And that is where we are today, in a position of strength. But in spite of all this, if uh, all discussions and dialogues fail, then I think we still have to uh, be prepared for all other options. And in that, Bhagavad Gita says with I am as a policy or a tactic should be followed as long as it is practical and does not become an obstacle in observance of your dharma or your duty. And therefore, while all the alternatives are being explored, it is also equally necessary that we keep our powder dry and have a strong military posture, so that we can negotiate from this position of strength and not be found wanting again and again when these kind of negotiations are taking These were just some of the points that I wanted to put across. Uh, once again, I'm uh, very happy to be here on the occasion of this release and my compliments to the entire team. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you everybody. On behalf of the Foundation
7: for Nonviolent Alternatives, I thank our distinguished speakers and chair for have on what this policy document is and how significant it is for India, especially in its year of G20 presidency. We thank our publishers, the Academic Foundation, with whom we have been associated for several years. FNBA also extends its heartfelt gratitude to each one of our experts whom we reached out and brought viable suggestions when we were working on this document. We humbly thank you, all the participants. This event would not be brimming with such engagement and energy without you all. So before wrapping things up, as a Tibetan born and brought up in India, and whose father had the
0: privilege to serve in the Special Frontier Force, I, on behalf of my own family
7: and Tibetans worldwide, would like to thank the whole team of FNV, especially Man and General Sir, with whom I had the privilege to work on this document sir and it really was a demanding effort to say the least but all of us did it and here we are today so this concludes the program we hope to see all of you in our upcoming programs thank you all do join us OG, and please don't forget to get the document thank you
5: Nice. Nice.